Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration services their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. All right, welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis, and we have Tatiana Kay today on our podcast. She's a dietitian. Um, so welcome, Tatiana. Thanks for having me. I'm an honor to be here. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to have you. And we're talking before we came on. Uh, my wife's a dietitian and we have a couple of dietitians that work for the practice. And so when I see things that are out there that are in the same kind of realm of like mindedness, um, I love to have other voices come in to one, validate the people that I have that work with me. And also, um, just to hear different perspectives and different trainings and different things that are in that same realm. So I really appreciate you giving us your time. Of course. Yes. And I will say dietitians do make the best wives. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. I'm sure your husband would agree. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been interesting. We have kids with food allergies and, um, and man, I've learned so much from her and, um, but in the same realm, it's not been what I thought it was going to be, which people think you married a dietitian. They're going to be watching everything you eat and you can't have candy and you can't, you know, and she's like, we call her, the, the kids call her the candy monster because she loves <laughs> like, you know, uh, the little cheap, terrible candy and you can't keep any in the house without her eating it all. So, um, so it's not a, she's not, it's not an internment camp of dietitians. Right. It's not about being the food police. It's about still honoring your body, but enjoying life at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about who you are uh, and what you do. Yes. So as you mentioned, I am a dietitian. Um, my name is Tatiana Kay and I, you know, started being interested in health from a very young age. My dad was very into organic food. He was, you know, he jumped on the bandwagon first. And I remember as a kid, we hated it. Like he was super psycho about, you know, <laughs> Ezekiel bread and, you know, all the health foods that didn't taste very good at that time. Um, so I have to give him credit. You know, he's the one that really got me um, into nutrition subconsciously. Um, so for, throughout my whole grade school, even in college, I always wanted to work in healthcare. Um, but it wasn't until my first year in college that I realized I could major in nutrition. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was the coolest thing. I was so excited. 
Um, so I ended up, yeah, going to school for nutrition. Um, I have my bachelor's and master's in nutrition and dietetics. Um, and you know, you think when you're in school, you're going to learn it all, mm -hmm. but it's not until after you graduate that the actual learning occurs. Right. Um, so, you know, I built a very good foundation at Loma Linda university, but it wasn't until I actually started practicing as a dietitian that I began to um, learn things that I found were interesting, um, such as fasting and other perspectives and philosophies that are not just basic medical nutrition therapy, yeah. what we learn in school. Um, and so, you know, I worked in the hospital as a clinical dietitian, so I got some good experience there. And, and after that, a wonderful job in the gut health world fell into my lap and, you know, it, it has taught me so much because again, this is a very new subject, but, and we're not taught it in school in length. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was a very big learning curve for me. And I had a, experienced a lot of humility along the way, um, learning things that I didn't know, you know, different gut disorders that, you know, I, I didn't learn about in school. Um, and so now I feel very comfortable though. And I have protocols for all these different GI conditions. Um, and, and the thing I love most about GI is that it, it impacts a younger population, mm -hmm. you know, for a lot of dietitians, maybe they work with diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and it's an older population. Um, gut health tends to impact younger people, which is such a great opportunity for us to number one, heal the gut, but then focus on longevity, which is my true passion. You know, my, I, my dream is to live to 123 and still be <laughs> functioning and dancing on my 123rd birthday. Um, so it's, it's an honor to work in the gut health world because I have that window of opportunity to actually pull them into that longevity path. Yeah, I love that you're talking about that. We haven't really had that conversation on here yet about, you know, children's gut health and the importance of, you know, building a good foundation when it comes to gut health. Um, you know, the, the, what is it? The flora, the gut flora. Yeah. Like all of that stuff. We have had to learn so much of that with our oldest because he has food allergies and, um, just realizing like when he eats certain things, he's more irritable or he's more sensitive or he's more, uh, he sleeps bad or, you know, he has strange bowels or, you know, and then all that plays into his mental and emotional health. And it's just this crazy overlap. And so Absolutely. if we give him red 40, you know, it changes everything about them. Mm -hmm. No. And it's, it's so interesting with the gut because this microbiome research is rather new. I mean, I remember the first lecture I ever heard on the microbiome and it was novel. It was brand new science. And now we're finding that these bacteria that live in our colon dictate our mental health. They dictate our cardiovascular health. They dictate our metabolism. You know, obviously they dictate our gut health, but they are truly at the root um, of our health and well-being. And so for me, wanting to heal people from the root, the best place to start is at the gut. Mm -hmm. So what's some advice, uh, that you would give people like, I guess, break that down a little bit more for those of us like myself who maybe don't know as much what, um, what that means. And as far as gut microbiome and like, how does that become a problem? Like, what are some of the things we're doing with children that are starting them out with, with such a deficit or in such a dysfunctional way that, that are common, yeah. right? That are things that people are like, Oh, this is not a big deal. Right, exactly. And and it does start from 
birth actually. Mm. Um, you know, when we're in mom's belly, we don't have a microbiome. We're a clean slate. Um, but it's how we enter into the world that really dictates the start of our microbiome. That's when we get our first dose of bacteria. And so it starts off with whether you're a vaginal birth versus a C-section. Mm -hmm. um, and there, you know, there's plenty of studies now that show whichever delivery you, you entered into the world, that is the foundation of your microbiome. Um, and then, you know, next comes breastfeeding. Okay. Right? So stop. So tell me, tell me about, uh, tell me about that. I mean, my brain's already going a million miles an hour, but so C-section versus vaginal, tell me why that is that it's a difference. Yeah. So when baby's entering into the world through the vaginal canal, there's a lot of bacteria there and it's actually good bacteria, like no need to be grossed out, but it is baby's first dose of bacteria. And if so, right. if mother has a healthy microbiota um, in the vaginal canal, baby's getting a really good first dose versus a C-section baby is not going through the canal is actually just getting the bacteria in the operating room, whatever's there in the air, whatever's there on the, you know, bed that they put the baby on. Um, so the first dose is completely different and that is starting the microbiome. That's Just so as if you were to take a white canvas and the first color paint you put on is going to be, it's going to be on there. Yeah. That's such a great, you know, we do a lot of work with trauma and working with uh, people in their attachment. And we talk a lot about how the attachment is, is formed in the womb and how, you know, the way mommy is stressed out or the way dad talks or the way the environment is even in the womb is setting them up for, you know, their attachment for the rest of their life. And so I think it's interesting. We were talking about being Christians before, but it's like, you know, God, the Bible talks so much about knitting us together in our mother's womb and, and the importance of those things. And, you know, there, there's a, I think that Louisiana has a 76% C-section rate or something like that. So it's interesting. Wow. It's one of the highest in the country, but of course that stat's high everywhere um, because of all kinds of medical issues and cover your own butt and it's convenient mm -hmm. and all those kind of things. But I think that speaks to our culture and that we're doing so many things that are convenient and easy. And people are like, Oh, it's not a big deal. Everybody does it and no harm to the baby. And yet what you're telling me is that actually there's a lot of harm done right off the bat and if you can avoid right. it, maybe think about, you know, doing a vaginal birth. We did, you know, natural birth because mm -hmm. of a lot of this conversation and things that we wanted to shoot for. And again, of I love course. caveats. People are going to have to have C-sections and emergencies. It's not going to ruin their kid for the rest of their life. These things are recoverable, right? That, that's not what we're saying. But at the same time, we can't throw out the baby with the bathwater and, and go, well, let's just do whatever because there's no effect. Exactly. And I think a lot more people are talking about this, right? And I'm very much on the more holistic side, the natural side of things. So, you know, I told my husband, if I have to have an emergency C-section, you better get my juices from my vaginal canal and put it all over baby's face. Like you have to inoculate my baby if that happens. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of doctors, unfortunately, healthcare is going in the wrong direction. Um, and, you know, people are following. But yep. the thing is, there is something to the path that is less traveled, mm -hmm. right? The path that if you go against the crowd, there's something really beautiful there and health and longevity is one of them. Absolutely. Matthew, you know, enter, enter the, many enter the wide gate and you know, lots of going that way and few find the narrow one. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's true, you know, same thing with emotional mental health. I mean, same thing with parenting, same thing with money, same, you know, I'd talk a lot about how, you know, normal is not healthy. Right. You know, normal. So true. We want like, people are like, oh, I want a normal marriage. I'm like, no, you don't. 
you know, like I want to do it. Normal marriages end in divorce. Exactly. But that's, that's such a new concept, right? Tatiana, because 10 years ago or 15 years ago, maybe normal was more healthy, you know, in how we eat and how we function. But man, in the last decade or two, now we've had this huge swing statistically that what's normal and average is actually really toxic. Exactly. I mean, just even looking at the standard American diet, I mean, it's the average diet um, and people are dying because of it. They're ending up with diabetes and cardiovascular disease, which are diseases of aging, but they're preventable. Like you could, you could push them off if you, if you do eat well, um, you know, but it, it, it is harder in our world of convenience where you could at the push of a button, you could get McDonald's delivered to your house yeah, or, for three bucks. you know, yeah, for yeah, exactly. So it's it, health and well-being. It, it's it takes a lot of effort and time, but it is well worth it because you're going to be so much happier and living such a beautiful life in in full energy and and giving your best to the world. Honestly, yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so vaginal birth versus C-section birth. We know that you're getting the wrong bacteria when you come out of a C-section versus vaginally. And then the microbiome starts like just like attachment, just like connection, all those things. And so then what? So, yeah. So then the next step is whether you're breastfed. So of course, baby's first food is naturally should be mother's milk. Um, and in the breast milk itself, there is something called a human milk oligosaccharide. Mm -hmm. And that is a prebiotic fiber that is so nourishing to the microbiome. It feeds those good bacteria that you got, you know, that first dosage from, um, you know, the vaginal birth, it feeds those good bacteria. It nourishes the intestinal cells. So that way the cells become more mature as baby grows. Um, and it supports baby's immune system along with the whole a bunch of other things. Um, so that would be number two, what impacts your microbiome for life is whether you were breastfed or not. Yep. And again, I know you would say this, but moms that can't breastfeed or that they, there's a situation with allergies and they have to use formula or they choose to, you're not bad moms. You're not setting your kid up for failure for the rest of their life, but we just want you to know that there are pros and cons to these things and, and to make informed decisions when you're doing them. Absolutely. And even if you do have a C-section, even if you can't breastfeed your baby, then that means you need to be on that lookout for their gut health even more so. That's good. Because we need to be taking care of that microbiome that maybe isn't optimal. Um, so I think it's okay. You know, my husband was a C-section baby. You know, he's a big guy. So, so you know, for him, it's like, I know in the back of my mind, I need to make sure he's always on a probiotic. I need to make sure I'm feeding him lots of prebiotic foods. So that way we're always supporting his microbiome because he statistically is at higher risk for having a GI condition at some point in his life. Yeah, that's so good. And listen, I know, I love this. My wife and friends are going to love this conversation too. Ashley's going to like it. And, and, uh, Rachel in our, in our Rustin office. But, uh, you know, the thing is, is like people hear this stuff and they feel like it's extreme because it's just so uncommonly talked about, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but the reality is, is if we don't talk about this, if we don't give people all the information, then we just keep doing the same thing we've been doing which is allowing the medical system and, and the things that we're creating that are normal, right? Statistically to continue to cause all these other problems. You know, everybody would say, Oh, I don't want heart disease. I don't want GI issues. I don't want to have cancer, you know, colon cancer early. And there are some solutions early on to help prevent those pretty, you know, significantly. Absolutely. And I think it's people like you, Clint, that are, you know, changing the, 
conversation. You know, now we have this beautiful world of speaking up, you know, like, you know, it's not just watching TV anymore to get our news. It's listening to intellectuals speak. Um, and I think the more that brave people stand up against the traditional healthcare, the more that it's going to have to change. Just like if we stand up to big food industry, um, then, then they are going to have to change their products as well, you know, so they can stop using, you know, vegetable oil and all their products and choose some higher quality oils if we stop buying their products because they're just in it for the money so if we stop buying they'll change their products that's so true uh, i love you already it's gonna it's gonna be a good one all right so so from so then so you have birth you have what we're initially breastfeeding them and then kind of take me through you know what is that two and a half to you know ten Right. So then now I would even go up to 18, okay. right? So from, yeah, from childhood, babyhood to um, teenager to adulthood. Um, and really now what we're looking at is what is going to be disrupting the microbiome versus enhancing it. And the common thing that they're finding that is disrupting microbiomes is um, frequent use of antibiotics. Mm. So, you know, ch child has an earache. I doctor gives them antibiotic. Child has a sore throat antibiotics. So this frequent use of antibiotics is now damaging what was once a very healthy microbiome. Um, so, so that is the biggest issue in early life, along with a low fiber diet. So it, fiber is found in any plant food, right? So vegetables, fruits, nuts, seeds, whole grains, they all contain fiber. Um, and if a child or teenager is not eating adequate fiber, actually adults too, um, then you're not going to be feeding those bacteria, the good bacteria that we need to feed. Um, and I always like to tell people you're not eating for one. And if you're pregnant, you're not even eating for two. You're eating for a hundred trillion because we need to be thinking that we're feeding our microbes too every yeah. time we eat. That's awesome. So one of the things that people need to pay attention to from childhood on is the way that they have been indoctrinated by, you know, the medical system to go, Hey, you know, I show I'm sick. Like I had the flu last week. <clears throat> I'm sick. If, if I, if I go to the doctor, let's say it's not the flu and I just have a cold, they're going to give me a Z pack. They're going to give me a steroid shot and they're going to say, go on your way. And I'm going to be like, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, that makes me feel better in two days. When in reality, if it's not a bacterial infection, it's just hurting me. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. Right? Because yes. pe people and would say I'm taking an antibiotic and if I'm going to just take it anyway, because no harm, no foul, if it gets it, it gets it. But if it doesn't, then I just took it and, and it just goes into the ether. Exactly. And you know, the saddest thing, um, working in the hospital, and this is why I stopped working at the hospital. Cause I just felt it was so unethical, but there were patients that they would just immediately start them on a strong antibiotics mm -hmm. and like vincomycin they even, or something like that. Yeah. Before they even confirmed a bacterial infection right. before. And then they're on, now they're on this antibiotic for three days. The test come back, comes back and says no bacteria found. And so now they have to continue that antibiotic treatment though, you know, but it's just, it's so sad to me that they're starting these high dose, you know, crazy antibiotics on people that don't even have bacterial infections. Now their gut is compromised. Now you've increased the risk of C. diff. You've increased the risk of, um, inflammatory bowel disease and, and so on. And it, it just, it saddens my heart to see that. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if we continue, okay. So, you know, if we look back 40 years ago, this wasn't a problem, 
right? We people were not taking antibiotics for year for you know multiple a year. I mean, if 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 we what's the average? What do you think the average person takes antibiotics a year? What do you know those stats? You know, I don't know those stats. Um, I do know that I think it's if children take like two to three antibiotics per year, that's when they can become compromised. Right. That right. would be considered like frequent antibiotic use. Which I would say, I mean, I can Google it, but I would, and people can say, you know, shout me down or whatever. But I would say that's in my experience with clients, with my own life, kids get sick, like kids get sick, like uh, 10 times a year, you know, from two to, you know, 12. I mean, when they're trying to build all those, you know, antibodies and all those kind of things. So if I take them to the doctor, half of that and half of the time they give them an antibiotic, we're talking about kids are actually, you know, getting antibiotics, you know, double what causes problems. And I would say it's probably in America that's average. Um, right. So, yeah. And, and so we've done that for 40 years and we're wondering why we have sensory issues, why we have, you know, um, food allergies, why we're more sensitive to things. Um, mm -hmm. And I think more all anxiety. Of, yeah, all of that's playing into this very simple but common I'm messing with my gut by taking antibiotics I don't need. Exactly. Would you would you agree? Exactly. Absolutely. I I mean I have adult patients they take one round of antibiotics and it destroys their gut and now I am helping them actually just re rebalance the microbiome so that way they can go back on their way but I mean just one dose of antibiotics is enough to to ruin the the microbiome that you would if you did have balance at one point, just one round could destroy it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's gut trauma, right? I mean, it's this, it's, mm -hmm. it's, there's a, this is how it's supposed to be and how God wired you. And, and then now we're attacking it inappropriately with things that it doesn't need. Now, obviously if you need it, that's a different circumstance, right? Uh huh. But, and it, then again, to go back to, you know, okay, yes, let's say mom can't breastfeed. Okay. Then now we have to be extra careful. Same idea. If you have to take antibiotics, well, now we need to be smart about phase two, which is just replenishing your gut back. You know, we've eliminated the bacterial infection with the antibiotics. Now we need to replenish your microbiome. And so, yes, we can do that through, you know, probiotic foods or supplementation. You know, if I were, to ever have to take antibiotics, I immediately know which probiotic I'm going on for like a month or two <laughs> to just make sure I get those good bacteria um, in my gut immediately. And I even sometimes recommend taking a probiotic while you're on the antibiotic, just at different times. You don't want to take them too close together or else it's a waste of money. Um, but you know, if you have to take an antibiotic, that's okay. Just make sure you ask your doctor, do I absolutely need this? Will I die? if I don't take this antibiotic, you have to start questioning your doctor um, just because they're, they're just going to go with big pharma. They're going to go with the flow. They're just going to prescribe because that's, that's just what they do nowadays. Yeah. That's such a great point. Oh man. We've had this conversation so many times. Um, yeah. So part of the, the thing that people need to wake up to, right. If you're listening to this and this is resonating is that we have done it. We have, you know, been like little lemmings and, and done this thing because we trust doctors. You know, we trust the system and the system at one point was very trustworthy. They came to your yes. house. They met with you. They they got to know you as a person and in your community. And they would think about your mom and your dad and all these things. But it's our own fault. Right. It's too, it's nobody's fault. It's the doctors are still trying to help and shout out to all the doctors out there that are being helpful and that are really trying to do their job and you're in the system too. So it's not personal, but the reality is, is that in this way that doctors only have 15 minutes or 20 minutes to treat a, a person, they, 
it's not their fault that they can't do all the things they need to do. And then they're being pushed by big pharma and, and big companies to go, Hey, try this med, try this thing, push this thing. Here's the new research that backs up this thing, you know, and, and we're, we're just treating symptoms instead of getting back to treating the roots or doing any preventative work. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny because when I did work, I worked at a gastroenterology clinic um, for four years in Orange County, and we had free lunch every single day provided by Big Pharma <laughs> because they have so much money. And yes, they want to talk to the doctors about their new medication. And it's and not to say that every doctor is like this. It's just a good portion of them just diagnose and treat. And it's funny because my husband is in medical school. He just started. Um, and we both know he is going to be so he's going to be the black sheep in his class because we already know all this stuff. You know, he's a non-traditional student, so he's going to, you know, create some waves in yeah. class probably. Oh yeah. It'll be interesting, but well, that's good. Waves need to be created in our society because if they're not, it's going to continue to go bad. And you know, the, that's how you're talking about this is beautiful because it, it's, it's such so much of what we talk about a lot with clients in here is trying to get them to kind of deconstruct and rip off the, the, the lens that they see everything through. And, and it's scary, you know, it's scary for people mm -hmm. to go, Oh wait, I can't trust my doctor. And it's like, it's not that you can't trust them. It's that you should hold everything with a, you know, an element of like, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out for myself. You know, yes, I'm, I'm going to, Good. You have to question, right? And I, I always teach every single one of my patients this, you have to be your own health advocate. Um, and, you know, I talk about that in Hungry for Truth, my new book, that it's, it's not your fault that the healthcare system is like this, but it is your responsibility to be your own health advocate in a world that they're not, they're treating you more so like a number versus an actual human being. So, you know, you need to question everything that you're that you have heard, including, I always tell people question me, you know, I'm not going to be a hundred percent correct because we're still missing some science, but we need to be able to question everything that we hear. Mm -hmm. And that can be overwhelming and scary, like you mentioned, but it's, it's for your benefit. It's, yeah. it's worth it in the long term. Yeah. Scripture even tells us that, that we should question scripture, right? You shouldn't just take it for what it is and what someone's telling you it says, but you should be in a relationship with God and with Jesus in a way that the Holy Spirit's going to lead to truth. And I, I think we have to do that same thing with each other in relationships is we have to realize that mm -hmm. unless it's someone we trust and know intimately, then we have to have some responsibility in, in, in our own care and our own treatment and, and for our kids as well. That just because people are like, oh, we do it. It's like, okay, we have to wake up and see that just what everybody's doing is really toxic. It's not just like a little bit bad. In America, what everyone is doing is extremely unhealthy, you know? And so if you're not, if you don't look around and go, I'm in the minority, then, you know, we got to adjust some things because if you're in the majority, then you're in a space where, you know, it's might not be right this second that it comes calling, but in the next five years, in the next 10 years, in the next 15, it, it's going to be a problem, whether that's your finances right. or your gut health or your sex life or whatever the thing is that you're dealing with. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you, you just nailed it. <laughs> okay. So tell me about, uh, how mental health. So, or, or so you took us into 18 with gut health. So you're, let me, I'm going to wrap that up. So you, what would be your advice for the average listener right now? Like me, I have two little boys, they're five and about to be five and about to be eight, um, or somebody who has teenagers, 
should they, uh, well, I'll shut up. You tell me, do they go back and take an assessment and go, okay, let's, let's kind of, I heard this podcast and now I need to look at how we've damaged this. And then what would you say to move forward? Right. It definitely look back at those two main factors, which is the, you know, way of birth, right. Vaginal versus C-section and looking at breastfeeding. And if both of those things were, you know, not ideal, then absolutely. If you have a young child or a teenager introducing plant foods and exposing them to, you know, at this age is very important. So that way, when they do go on their way, they move out of the house, they're, you know, they're buying their own groceries. They say, okay, I remember mom, mom made me broccoli. Oh, I remember, you know, dad always, always obsessed with onions. So that way, you know, they are set for life, but we have to start exposing our kids now to plant foods. Cause it's, it's actually interesting. I have a patient right now and she said her whole life, you know, she really wasn't exposed to many vegetables. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's good for us to do that part, um, as, as a parent to give them that exposure, let them try a variety. It doesn't mean they have to like it. It doesn't mean they have to eat their, you know, finish their plate. It just means that they have to be exposed to it and cooking it in a nice way that is palatable, um, that it's, and I think at the same time, we need to change the culture around vegetables and healthy foods, right? Right now it's, ew, that's so gross, but why can't we glamorize these foods for feeding our good bacteria, for making us feel amazing the next day, for giving us energy in a way that sugar really can't. So I think we need to shift the culture and, you know, that happens one person at a time by glamorizing broccoli, glamorizing, you know, nuts and seeds, which is what I love to do, you know, for, with my patients is, you know, find a nut or a seed that you really like and try to find all these different ways to use it in your cooking. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I think cause kids don't, you know, kids know what they know and they know what you eat and they know what you make comfortable. And, um, you know, you have to introduce it like 15, 17 times before they're going to eat it anyway, you know, so you just put it on their plate and leave it there and they're, they might not touch it, you know, for 10, 15, 20 times and then they might, but yeah, we're, we're in that habit of like force feeding our kids these things because we know they're good and everything is this immediate gratification. It's I'm going to feed you this because now I listen to this podcast with Tatiana and Clint. Now I need to feed you vegetables. So I'm going to go home and cram them down your throat or your gut biome is going to be <laughs> terrible. And it's like, no, just, you know, take it over the next year or so and, and take your time and introduce some new things and change the culture a little bit. And then before you know it, you look up two years from now and your, your five-year-old or your six-year-old's eating, you know, broccoli every once in a while or, you know, eating it in a certain thing or, I mean, a pouch, whatever it is that you've got to introduce um, to help, you know, start that that change. Exactly. And I, I don't have children yet, but you know, if they refuse to eat their vegetables or whatever, I will find ways to hide it in their food. I will make them the best tasting chocolate milkshake and I will put spinach in there. I will put ground flaxseed in there. I'll put all the good things to support their gut health and you know, th their health. I mean, they're children. If I was a child, I would only want to eat mac and cheese all day too. That's right. You know, so we have to find creative ways and there's a lot of good you know, social media dietitians that are finding, you know, they have really good recipes online of how to make the food fun for children. Yeah. I wish I could think of the lady we've been, my wife has been cooking a bunch of stuff out of this one dietitians. She's a chef, but she, it's amazing. It's super healthy. Um, mm -hmm. but delicious. And she's cooked like 10 things out of in the last month or two. And it's been, oh man, so good. There's been like I one, that. one that I was like, Ugh. and I'm the king of like, is there meat in this? And she's like, shut up, just eat it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> 
And I'm like, it tastes like yeah. there's meat in it. Or Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh. My husband says the same thing. He's like, where's the beef? Where's the meat? Is there meat in here? He's just, he's so funny. Oh yeah. Same thing here. There, there's a, I can't think of what it is. It's a, it's a pasta, but it's this little round, uh, type of pasta. Um, gosh, I can't. Anyway. Is it, is it gnocchi? Yes. Gnocchi. Uh, I, yeah. so we, she does this gnocchi recipe and I, I think it's, it's meatless, but it tastes, the gnocchi tastes like it has cheese in it. And so for like weeks, I, when I would eat it, I was like, this is delicious. I love it. Like, I love these little gnocchi filled, this cheese filled gnocchi. She's like, babe, there's no dairy in that. And I'm like, what? I'm like, it tastes <laughs> like, so that's so much. I mean, I'm like a 40 year old little kid, but like they only know what they know. You know, and so if you don't tell them and they don't have that placebo, um, you know, they'll be like, oh, this is delicious. Just don't ruin it and tell them there's not cheese in it. Exactly. All right. So you mentioned your new book. Um, Tell me about that a little bit. Um, Hungry for the truth. So tell me what got you to write that. Um, When's it come out and what it what's it about? Yes. So I, like many people during the pandemic, found myself. Um, and I started working more on creative projects. Um, so hungry for truth though, was always in my mind, you know, once I became a dietitian, because I had so many questions still, there were still so many controversies and I'm the type of person that I want the answer. Mm -hmm. So I began my investigation, um, and I decided, okay, this will all be put into a book one day. Um, so I, I did start that before the pandemic, but it's really during the time at home that I finished that book. And really it is my investigation into all of those controversies. So each chapter is a lie that we have believed at some point in our life. Um, You know, like (laughs) I will be happy when I'm skinny or eat less calories eat less fat. So these are just a few of the chapters. And I'm not saying that I'm 100% right, but it's more so a book to start a conversation, to get us, get our wheels turning. So that way we can, we can eventually find the truth because a lot of this stuff is still controversial. I mean, there are still some people that disagree with me. I mean, even my best friend disagrees on one of my chapters. And so which one is that? it's um the last chapter which now i'm like oh maybe i should take it out um but it's it's avoid booze salt and coffee okay you know three of these things that people three substances initially you know basically that people are using to numb or to feel good and you know she's she's more you know not for alcohol. And I think that there is a time and a place for it, even though I personally don't drink a lot. Um, but I wrote that chapter because I needed to talk about the binge drinking culture, Mm -hmm. um, of, you know, it's not just one drink people are drinking. It's they're getting drunk, they're getting wasted and it is destroying the body. Um, so if you are the, the point of the, the chapter again is to bring that conversation into light and saying, okay, well, why are you drinking alcohol? Could we, you know, just have a little bit. So that way, you know, it's, it's nice. Can you dilute your wine, which is what they did back in the day. And people who drank full on wine were actually considered barbarians. So it's more starting that conversation. Yes. The Vikings, they, they drink pure wine and everyone else diluted their wine. So they weren't getting drunk off wine and they had more volume. So it's more to have that conversation. I'm not promoting 
people to drink alcohol. I mean, if you don't drink alcohol, that's great. Like don't drink it, yeah. you know, but for, for someone who does binge drink or drinks every single night, that chapter was meant for them. Yeah. And you definitely should leave that in. Not that my opinion is much, but yeah, that, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, I live in the South and so, you know, you live in California now, Pennsylvania, right? And, yes. uh, and I live in the South. And so the conversation of drinking, uh, is such a huge issue within the church, within the culture. Um, and I, you know, I'm with you, I think. So you're, so the trap, the chapter is dealing with the myth of don't do booze, salt. And then what was the other one? Caffeine, caffeine, coffee. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what you're trying to talk about is if, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but having the stance and, and I don't know your friend from Eve, but having the stance of just like, well, then don't talk about it and just don't do it. People are going to. And so what you're trying to talk about is if you're going to do it in a moderate way in which it doesn't have extreme effects long-term on you. Right. And so, I mean, I know this as a clinician, people say, oh, well, I, I don't drink hardly at all. And then when you actually talk to them about it, it's like, well, I mean, I drink six beer or I drink four beers three times a week. Oh, and I'm not getting mm-hmm. drunk. And it's like, well, no, because your tolerance is pretty high. So you can cook and drink and have four wheat beers. But what, like, regardless of how it makes you feel sober wise, and, and regardless of how it affects your family and how it affects your relationships, what it is doing to your body, just based on the content that you're taking in has a huge negative effect. Is that correct? Absolutely. And to bring it full circle, drink binge drinking and actually even just having a couple of drinks impacts your microbiome. So that's more getting into the the adulthood of what impacts your microbiome and alcohol drinking does actually impact your microbiome. So there's a difference between drinking alcohol every night versus, you know, you're in a social, you're at a social event, you know, you want to have a glass of wine or, you know, some other type of drink and you're enjoying yourself, you know, having one drink isn't going to impact your microbiome, but drinking every day and yeah, oh, I barely drink, you know, quote unquote, I, I don't drink very often, but then you're still having six beers that is impacting your microbiome that is impacting your sleep, which is going to impact your mood the next day and so on. No, that's great. Same thing with salt and same thing with coffee, right? Yeah. We, uh, I had, I had like, a about three years ago. Uh, hit a wall and had to get into some more therapy. I'd been in therapy, but I had to get in some more. And, and what I, I got COVID like two months into that, like mental kind of like what's going on. And, uh, and I, I was so sick with COVID that I couldn't drink coffee. And it, it felt like someone was like drilling two nails through my forehead. And I thought it was just COVID. Um, well afterwards I realized like, oh man, it was, it was caffeine withdrawal because I was like drinking four cups a day, five cups a day, a client would come in, I just get a little cup and drink some to have something in my hand and something warm. And, you know, mm-hmm. and again, it's like alcohol. I would have said, it's not a big deal. It's not affecting me. I go to sleep at nine 30. I have no, you know, but mm-hmm. try to stop, right. Try to, uh, once it becomes a normal steady state in your life, you don't even see the consequences of it. And so okay. then now I only have caffeine in the morning and I have no more the rest of the day, typically. I mean, maybe every once once a month I might have a like Coke zero at lunch or something, which I know is horrible for me, but I'll have it anyway. Uh, <laughs> once a month, it's okay. Uh, Ashley, Ashley be like, you don't need to judge it and give it a moral stance. Anyway. Uh, I, I love it. <laughs> so, so uh, I'll have a Coke zero or whatever, uh, but because of the caffeine, right? It's not because coffee's bad or the Coke is bad in of itself. It's because the caffeine gives me anxiety. It sets me up for if anything else is going on in life and I already have a steady state of more caffeine in my life, then it's going to push me over the top. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. And a lot of people are not aware of that because it's more about their morning ritual of, oh, I drink my coffee. And for you, it sounded like, you know, when you're with your client, you have your warm beverage. And I was the same way. I mean, I actually just stopped drinking caffeine about a month ago, just because, you know, we are going to be starting to try our for a family soon. So I just want to get that, that substance out of the way early. Um, but, but caffeine it's, it's how we're drinking it. What's the intention there? Is it because we have low energy waking up? And so we have to depend on a substance to make us feel good and feel awake. Or is it because it's, Hmm, I like my morning coffee and it just goes well with my Bible study. You know, there it's, what's the intention behind it. And, you know, sometimes, yeah, that for a lot of people, I would say the caffeine does increase anxiety. It does increase um, the risk for sleep disturbances. And I have noticed that with myself. I stopped drinking caffeine for a week. I sleep so much better. And usually I will sit there in bed with insomnia, just like laying there thinking about everything. But as soon as I stop drinking caffeine, that goes away. Um, So there's something there to the caffeine, anxiety, and sleep that we need to be aware of how our body individual body is reacting to the substance. Yeah. And that's a beautiful uh, thing to say too, because I think that is the other problem that I see that we hadn't really talked about, but I think it's a good point to dive into is that because of how the the healthcare system is set up and even the psychiatric care and, and mental health care, there's, you know, DSM, let's say there's a one size fits all for everything. And I think that that is because of our American individualized culture. And because we've moved into this lack of community where we don't have space to get to know each other. We don't have time to hear each other's stories. We like, like I love this podcast because you know, you're, it's obvious that this is who you are, right? That, mm-hmm. that, that you're not just playing a part that you're not just telling people rules and, and things that they should do, but it's like you have integrated and researched and become this thing that now you're like, Hey, listen, this is just truth and I'm going to share it with you and you can take it or leave it. But this is, this is how it is. And so I love mm-hmm. that, but people don't have that individual perspective so they, they read things and they're like, well, I got to do this. And I listen to this podcast, so I got to do this. And it's like, no, you have to figure out what's best for you. And all of us have Absolutely. different epigenetics and different backgrounds and different things that are going to tweak us and push us a certain way. And so you can't look to your neighbor or your friend or your doctor to say, well, you can have one glass of wine a night, you know, is, is going to statistically show you that you're okay. Well, maybe for some people, but if you're drinking one, just one glass a night and it's still causing you problems, then maybe you can't drink one glass a night. Absolutely. It's taking that individualized approach. Yeah. And I think a lot of dietitians are, and that's why I love dietitians, um, is we take that individualized approach. We see the human in front of us as an actual person with a story, with traumas, with, you know, um, a history. And that is all going to impact your health journey moving forward, which is, you know, in the GI clinic, when I used to work, you know, for doctors, it was very, okay, this is what you eat. You know, let's get the fiber in, let's get the probiotics in versus now when I practice, it's more about the mindset, the belief system towards different food items. What's the intention? Why are you emotionally eating? Why are you drinking every single night? Oh, you're trying to numb. Okay. Well, let's, let's dig deeper. Why are you numbing? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's more about seeing that person for an individual because they're going to go so much farther if they start to see that they're not just the average person, you know, their body is going to respond differently to different food items, to different substances. And they need to honor that, that they're unique. Yeah. 
Well, your book sounds really awesome. I'm excited. Uh, I want a copy of it. So I'm going to, I'm going to, when does it come out? So it's already out. Oh, okay. Um, it came out this summer. Um, so, so yeah, that one's out. And then my other book code of a healthy mind is more geared towards the female population of, you know, getting us away from the dieters mindset and getting us more to a health mindset that it's not about looking cute and skinny. It's about honoring your one and only body temple so that way you can live a beautiful life. That's awesome. Well, I'll, uh, I'll put the links or have chip put the links on the, um, the podcast for people. So if you want to look at that on Amazon or I'm sure it's on Amazon, uh, <laughs> that, you know, people can order that. Cause I think it's going to be, that's awesome. I love the, that the chapters are on truth. Be t- what is it? Truth, hungry for truth that, uh, that it'll be, uh, interesting to look at those lies and kind of look through those things and the myths and, and, was it uh what was covid like for you so um was that difficult watching all the talks about vaccines and and knowing gut health and body i know you don't have to get into anything too much on here but was that difficult you know um it was funny because i i remember right before covid happened i was sitting with my therapist and because i was kind of in a rut and i said i just i wish i had more time and i remember praying that week and i said i wish God, I had more time. And then the whole pandemic happened. I got sent home from work and I said, God, this is freaky. Like you literally, I literally prayed for more time and it just, it got handed to me. And so, um, the pandemic was just for you. So it's your fault. (laughs) I don't know. I think all of us, we see the world from our own perception and then somehow we're all interconnected. Um, it's a hundred percent true. Yeah. During that time, it gave me a lot of opportunity to yes, work on my creative outlets and work on my spiritual well-being. So for me, it was a very beautiful time of blooming and growing. And I, I, I can't imagine my life without that period of six months where I wasn't working as much. I was still working, but not like I was working six days a week before I was so burnt out. I was commuting 10 hours a week in the car. So it was a very nice time for me, um, to, to have that time alone and reconnect with myself. Um, although at the same time, you know, the whole vaccine situation did give me anxiety and, uh, because I am more holistic and I believe the human body is capable of healing itself. I, I believe that full heartedly. It was, it was a difficult time for me to, you know, have to make a decision or not. And when you I mean, live in California too, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, and I remember when work told me, um, it's mandated and I said, here's my religious exemption. And if you don't want to take that, I'm leaving. And I was, I was willing to walk away at that point. Cause I said, there's no way I'm putting something that is brand new, not studied. I mean, there was one study, right. Where everyone was saying, Oh, it's safe. And it's like, now we find out that one study people were dropped. If they reacted to the first dose, they weren't even considered enough that study. So for me being very science heavy, I said, there's, I don't even recommend diets that have three studies to back it up you know, I'm not going to take something that has zero studies, um, and impact my well-being, just because I am very careful with what I put in the, my body as a dietitian. So I had to make that call. And luckily my, my work respected, um, my religious beliefs on that. Wow. That's, a, that's interesting in California. That's a rare thing. So 
Yes. Another I'm great very side. grateful. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's, it's, you know, on this side of it, it's a little, I mean, it's still a little like hard to talk about um, because you don't want to offend people that are listening that got it or that are full bore into it or whatever. But I think it, it does speak to the same pattern of everything else we talked about. And I try to talk about on here with everybody else is just ask questions, do your own research, and then just do what's best for you and your body. Exactly. You know, and don't, and don't tell other people what to do. You know, it's so funny with, with, um, you know, the abortion debate and, you know, all these kind of things. It's like, you know, nobody should tell anybody what to do with their body except for, okay. And everybody has to do with this, with their body. And it's like, what are we, we live in this like hypocritical bipolar, you know, world politically on both sides. I'm not, I'm a moderate. Yes. So I'm like, both sides are, yes. in, you know, completely hypocritical in there. Oh, don't, you know, you can't have an abortion, you know, you can have an abortion because it's your body, but also like everybody should take the vaccine or they're a terrible monster person and they're killing everybody. It's like, this is crazy. Right. And that's what infuriated me during that pandemic time. Like that was my only anxiety because I, I just I couldn't believe that people did not see this, you know, because I was doing all that spiritual work. Right. So I was like <laughs> awake. I was enlightened during that time. So I was like, how do people not see this? You know, they can say my body, my choice for yeah abortion but then i can't say my body my choice for a vaccine that has literally no science to back it up and now we're finding that it did actually impact female menstruation cycles and i'm sure later on we'll find out about fertility but you know that's that's why i didn't take it because i i do care about my fertility um so so it's it's interesting though um but i'm i'm not afraid to talk about it anymore because now i'm in a place where i own I'm my own boss, you know, I'm not going to get fired. Um, you know, and I think it's important for people to be brave and talk about this because I respect the doctors that have talked and said, this isn't right. Especially when, you know, when you were getting demonized for saying anything, but what the media was pushing a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's been the, it can't, that was like the beginning of cancel culture. I think COVID, like there wasn't a thing, you know, there wasn't yes. really cancel culture before COVID and then cancel culture, anybody who stood up against masking or stood up against the vaccine or, you know, just and not even standing against it. Like you all of a sudden became an anti-vaxxer if you wanted to have a discussion about this or just ask questions or look into the research or try to get information from anyone. Um, and for a lot of people mm -hmm. there, you know, people had had vaccines and had issues with that. Like we my oldest son, when we did his first initial vaccines, we didn't know anything about any of this or his allergies and really never had a problem with it. And my wife was super, you know, dietitian and aware, but man, he had such a horrible response. Uh, he had 106 fever, was puking green bile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our doctors were like, this is not good for him and his body and his sensory issues and his, we don't know what it is. And then we slowly figured out that he had FPIs and he had, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of FPIs, but um, it's food, food protein induced intercolitis mm -hmm. syndrome. So as a dietitian, you should definitely Google it and check oh, it out. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a very rare yeah. food allergy. I um, will. And even now, like JC and I are eight years into dealing with our son, and the dietitians and the doctors are still coming with the same stances and the same. So it's very frustrating to see how slow it is to change some of these things. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I think right. people need to, it's okay to ask questions and have these conversations and want information about whether it's vaccines or C-sections or breastfeeding, instead of putting yourself in these moral camps and mm -hmm. saying, oh, well, if you don't just adhere to whatever somebody's telling you, then, you know, you're wrong. 
Exactly. And it's not like I think people who got the vaccine are terrible people. I mean, literally everyone around me, my best friends, my husband had to get it for school and he just is not passionate like me and (laughs) hard-headed, you know, so he just went with the flow, my dad, you know, so it's my dad's older. So of course, like for them, it makes sense to do that is just, you know, for, for my body, I think it's, it's, when you look at the individual perspective, you, you get to make that decision. Yeah. And I think that's what we were, you know, talking about is that people, people should make informed decisions about their body and about their issues and, and hear both sides of the debate and the conversation and then make an informed decision based on what's best for you. And I think it's crazy that we live in a world that somebody can force you to do something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And then have the bias that you can't do it in other areas. And so just to be inconsistent on either side, it it's the same thing with Christians or non-Christians when it comes to abortion or the death penalty. And I'm like, hold on, you know, is life important <laughs> or is it not? Like, why are you so pro bad, you know, bad people getting the death penalty, but you're totally against abortion for a 14 year old who mm-hmm. got raped or you're totally fine with, you know, this happening, but God forbid that, you know, we don't save every whale in the world. Like it's just this inconsistency that drives me up the wall. And so Absolutely. I, I think, and that's I, I think that's why ethics is just it can be um infuriating sometimes because there's no answer. Really, it's an individual case. You know, it's case by case that we should be determining and making these decisions versus just saying one size fits all. Yeah, that's great. So any other closing thoughts, comments? I mean, this has been fantastic information and I think is going to be very helpful to our listeners. It's fresh. It's new. Um, it, it wets their palate enough to go, I need to look up this. I need to kind of lean into this. So anything else that you'd like for people to kind of know about you and, and maybe if they don't listen to anything else, what would be some advice that you have? Yeah, I would say um, if I could leave you with one food for thought, um, it would be to listen to your body. If your body is giving off symptoms, whether it's anxiety or constipation or heartburn, you need to listen to that because it's your body's only way of communicating with you. And so I always recommend um, people do a weekly reflection on their health journey just to see where they are to set an intention for the week because that's going to be more powerful on the health journey versus just saying, I'm going to lose 20 pounds or I'm going to heal my gut. You know, sitting down each week is, is a very important part. And so if you can just do those two things of listening to those symptoms, that's the way your body is communicating and doing a weekly reflection, you're, you're going to be going, you're, you're starting off on a good foot. That's awesome. Any, just day-to-day routines that you would talk about, you know, there's a lot of vitamins and a lot of stuff out there that people just literally pee out because they don't really need to be taking all of it. But is there any, as far as probiotics or prebiotics or any of that stuff, is there anything that you would say to that, that you would recommend for just the average person? Yeah. For an average person, I would say just focus on getting those things from your food. So get dietary probiotics, which is found in yogurt, kefir, sauerkraut, all of those fermented veggies, um, especially the Asian cuisine, like kimchi and miso. Um, so if you can get the probiotics from there, there's no need for a supplement, um, unless you actually have a GI condition, then we can talk about probiotics. Um, but, and then also getting the prebiotic fiber, which is the other half, um, which is found in all your fiber foods. 
but primarily onions, banana, asparagus, strawberries, oats, um, leek. So if you can get all those in your diet, along with those probiotics, you're going to be doing yourself a favor or more so your microbiome a favor in supporting um, a good balance. Well, that's awesome. So get it in your food. Same thing with protein. I remember being in college and everybody's like, you need two body, you know, you need two grams of protein per body, you know, whatever. And everybody's taking creatine and protein out the wazoo. And it's like, gosh, that was so awful for our kidneys and our bodies and our, you know, like, ugh. My right. wife, as soon as right. I, which sorry. I have that whole chapter in my book about protein oh, where you do? I stand with that. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. My wife is like, Hey dummy, you're peeing out everything that you're taking. And this, this GNC is marketing to you beautifully. Uh, <laughs> yes. So I've, yes. I've if, been humbled a lot good for sure. At selling, yeah. If they're good at selling, then that's where you should be skeptical. You know, people always love, they always bring up Dr. Gundry's products and I'm like, one thing I know about Dr. Gundry is he's very good at making money. He's very good at marketing his products. And that's when you should be very careful. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything that's making someone billions of dollars is questionable. Um, yes, exactly. Well, look, I loved our conversation. It was very fun. I hope you felt like, you know, it was a good conversation as well. Um, oh, yes. Tell me where, tell me your ats and, and where people can look you up online. Cause I love your Instagram page. You post a lot of really good stuff for people. That's super helpful and practical. Um, which is part of why, you know, asked you to come be on here. Cause I was just like, okay, this is somebody I can have knows where the, you actually know way more about what you're talking about than I even expected, which is very nice. Not that that was a negative view. It's just, <laughs> I'm very surprised, um, pleasantly surprised when, you know, people are with it and, and they have their own personal story that they're invested in. So hats off to you. Um, I hope we can have some further conversations off offline about just working together and, and resources and, um, however I can help you and be of a service to you. Like I would love to do that and hopefully have you come back on in a, another six months or a year and talk about some more stuff. But anyway, what are your, um, where can people follow you? Yes. So you can follow me on Instagram. That's probably the best way to connect with me. Um, my handle is vitamin K and K is spelled K E A Y. RD and that stands for registered dietitian. So vitamin K RD is my Instagram handle. And then my website is just vitamin K.com. And, and I have a couple blogs on there. Um, it's more so on my website now is for the gut health program that I, that I do now for my business. Um, and there's an application on there. Um, so if you do feel like you need to work with a dietitian, focus on individualized nutrition and your mindset, um, then you might be a really good candidate for that program. Awesome. And then I'll, I'll post both your books and uh, people can check you out yes. and hopefully get some health in, in their gut and, and in the rest of their life. Hey, exactly. I, I'll be praying for you. I wish you the best. Um, so thank you guys for listening to Tatiana and uh, follow her and you know, do all the things you do, like our page, follow it, share it, um, and get health out there. So God bless you guys.